Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program today with a study from Imperial College of London. And it's as easy as one handful of nuts a day reduces major diseases. Now, eating at least 20 grams, that's a small amount, that's that's not even an ounce of nuts a day, could cut the chances of dying from respiratory disease by 50% and diabetes by 40%. The study which establishes the benefits of nut consumption on cardiovascular conditions also found convincing data that eating a wide variety of nuts helps all other diseases. For example, walnuts and pecans in particular are high in antioxidants, and those antioxidants fight oxidative stress and reduce the risk of cancer. Walnuts were more strongly associated with cancer, death, prevention than any other nut. The study also identified peanut butter as being particularly healthy in prolonging life. Well, that's great, unless you get the highly processed commercial peanut butter that has all the sugar added, not good. But get it without the sugar and without the dairy. The researchers completed a systematic review and a meta-analysis of 29 peer-reviewed published studies that involved 819,000 participants. Now another study on plants, this is plant proteins, a key to a woman's long-term health. This was done at Tufts University. And the Tufts University study showed that women who consumed higher amounts of protein, particularly from plant sources, tended to develop fewer chronic diseases and lived a longer life. The study analyzed 48,000 women and found a notable decrease in heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and cognitive and mental health decline among those who included more plant-based protein. The team compared plant-based protein sources um, like uh, beans, legumes, and pulses, and nuts and seeds uh, to meat sources. The team found that women who consume more plant-based protein were 46% more likely to remain healthy into their later years, while those with higher animal protein intake were less likely to maintain good health. Now, from Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, they examined two different ways of dealing with, dealing with depression. One was therapy, talk therapy. Another was medication. And they compared which is the better outcome with patients in heart failure. New research by investigators from the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at Cedars-Sinai shows that behavior activates a process in the body that is as effective as any of the antidepressant medications in treating symptoms of depression in patients with heart failure. Heart failure affects about 6 million adults in the United States, and approximately 50% of heart failure patients experience symptoms of depression. The patients with heart failure and depression have lower cardiac function and more emergency department visits and hospital admissions and poor quality of life compared to patients who are not depressed. So, talk therapy, something we used to do, something that was a given. You go to a psychiatrist or your family physician, and you talk about what's bothering you, and then you try to find solutions. Now, in the last 40 years, 
that's been replaced by medications. And yet the medications have terrible side effects, including suicidal ideation and suicide. And it doesn't cure you. You can't find me a single study where people were cured of their depression or acute anxiety by taking a particular medication. But I can show you good clinical studies that by engaging in healthy lifestyle and dealing with honest issues in a way that allows you to understand how you got this mindset and how you can reverse it did cure people. And yet we're not paying attention because there's no money in it. But just sharing. From Jeju National University College of Medicine, South Korea, does more outdoor light at night help cause macular degeneration? Now, this is a different kind of study. The researchers found that people living in areas with the highest levels of street lights and other artificial lights had more than double the odds for age-related macular degeneration compared to those living in areas with the lowest level. That risk remained even after they accounted for confounding factors such as sleep issues and depression. What it means in lay language is this. If you live in a city, you're going to have an awful lot of background light. Do you ever notice looking up at the sky you don't see anything when you're in a city? When you live in the country, it's dark at night, and you live in a house with no lights on at night, then it's really dark. And that's the healthiest way of going to sleep. Also, if you get rid of the, around you, get rid of the television that is on, though you may have turned it off, but it still powers on, so it's still pulsing, electromagnetic frequencies. So just turn it off completely. Your computer, turn it off. Start it again in the morning. Your cell phone, turn it off. Keep it away from the the bed. So getting rid of electromagnetic stimulation and... Any kind of light allows you a better night's sleep, but it also helps protect you from macular generation. So, something to think about. And what you can do if you live in the city, if you just wear a a silk uh, or cotton iPad, and they fit right over the eyes, they're very comfortable, and you get a better night's sleep. Now, researchers found that a compound in uh, licorice, uh, it's a glyceriza, uh, and it's able to help prevent high fat, high diet obesity, and fatty liver disease, what is called hepatic stenosis, and type 2 diabetes by stopping the activation of what is called an NLRP3. That's a protein involved in such diseases. So, get yourself into the hands of a competent nutritional biochemist who understands nutrition biochemistry and get yourself some of the extract of the licorice and use that if you have these conditions under their guidance. All right? It makes a difference. Now, um, there's a link between sleep deprivation and cell damage on certain organs. From the Medical College of Wisconsin, scientists at the college have discovered a link between when you can't sleep well, you keep waking up, and cellular injury. The results of a new study find sleep deprivation causes the damage to cells, especially your liver, your lungs, and your small intestine. Fortunately, recovery sleep 
from sleep loss was found to restore the balance and also decrease cellular energy. These findings elucidate previous research indicating sleep abnormalities as risk factors for disease such as cardiovascular disease and cancer and prematurely aging. That's also one good reason if you're having a problem sleeping, look at what the problem is. Get a proper diagnosis. I have found that there is a positive solution to almost every condition once you know the truth of what you're really suffering from. What's the underlying cause? And that can help you. And the study culminates years of work and provides physical evidence that sleep deprivation really does injure your cells, damages your DNA. But if you take a nap each day, that helps in the repair process. All right? These are some of the things that are from the National Library of Medicine, PubMed, all peer-reviewed. And again, I've shared tens of thousands of these studies with you over the last 57 years of being on the air every day. And if I was on the air for another 57 years, I wouldn't run out of information. That's how much is out there. Because there are thousands upon thousands of high-quality studies published every month. So once again, I go back to this. If you want to live a really long, healthy life, orthodox science has the keys. You don't have to rely upon folk medicine and or be in some way challenged because, well, that's, that's just too simple. You know, you can't prevent disease just that easily. Yes, you can. You can. And you can reverse disease also by the same methods. So we'll have more later. And if you go to YouTube, Gary Nall, there are thousands of my reports there and my classrooms on the air. And by the way, based upon what people are asking, I took on those classrooms on the air, and uh, those were the issues. So I'm directly doing classrooms on the air each, each day. In fact, uh, I do one every morning. I film it, so you can go and watch it. It's on Rumble, Odyssey, and Gary Nall YouTube, and it can help you. Got a lot of good feedback that's helping people. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Today we're going to share two insights that I think you'll find of value. One, in about uh, 20 minutes, is the indoctrination of our brain. An MD-PhD, Dr. Michael Nails, N-E-H-L-S, is the guest, but he says something even more important than how we got indoctrinated to say yes to everything we should have said no to. He's going to tell you based upon the actual clinical studies that were done with a control group, what would have saved 90% of all people who died from COVID? Now, mind you, he's a mainstream orthodox scientist and physician. He's published a lot in the peer-reviewed literature. But you haven't heard this before. You haven't seen it before. So this will be brand new information, and it'll help you today as well as it would have four years ago. We're also going to hear, well, we're going to hear leading Democrats, voices you'll immediately recognize, who are telling you why you should hurt Trump, kill Trump, blow up the White House, um, get in people's faces, you know, go after them. Now, these are all leading senators, House 
Republican heads, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and yet not once was that considered significant enough to be labeled as insurrectionist. But a group of peaceful people, except for the 200-plus infiltrators from the CIA and the Homeland Security at January 6th, and they didn't do anything until they were tear-gassed and then shot. In fact, you saw one of the people, we, we played you the footage of the unseen January 6th footage where the police are talking about they're not doing anything, they're just standing around. Well, let's ratchet up. And they start shooting him. The guy gets shot right in the cheek. And you actually see the bullet lodged in his cheek. And uh, then they get tear gassed. And then they get pepper sprayed. Then some of them start to push back. And then when they're in the Capitol, they're just walking around. And the doors are being unlocked and opened to them. Footage we never saw before. So that suddenly becomes worse than Pearl Harbor in the minds of these people who are making that call. Why? Why, why, all the, why the kangaroo court on January 6th? Why putting people in jail for longer than a murder victim or murder uh, suspect who's found guilty? But why, why would a person who commits murder and rape get out in a short time where a person who was just standing there doing nothing can spend 10 years in prison? Think about that. I'd like to hear your answer. I know a lot of you have the answer. Give us a call later in the program at 888-874-488. And yet their hate speech, their calls to violence, that's not important. Oh, yeah, it is. But first we're going to go to Michael Schellenberger. Michael Schellenberger was, along with Matt Taibbi, testified before Congress about the corruption of fixing an election the last presidential election, by showing how the White House and the FBI, the CIA, all these agencies contacted all the social media and insisted that you ban and censor certain articles and people, but promote others. Well, what do you call that? If the whole object is to have algorithms that if you want to know a particular politician's point of view, you kill the algorithms so there's no, nothing there for them to see. But you promote other people's algorithms. And we had a professor on who's the world's leading expert on controlling algorithms who said it brought six million more votes to, to the Democrats. Now, I don't care if you vote Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter to me because they're all sociopaths, in my opinion. I don't see any good coming from any of this. But if we have to go through these fake rituals to actually believe we have a democracy, then do it. Well, Schellenberger was attacked by the Democrats, including Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Why, why could she not accept that all this censorship was going on? Why could she not accept that this Steele dossier was a complete fraud and the FBI knew it from the very beginning? All to stop Trump. What is it about Trump they fear? And what is it not about Obama and Clinton that they support. Well, what have they not done or done that gives them all the support? Well, now you're going to have a real in-depth discussion on this with Michael Schellenberger giving a lecture on a guide to escaping the woke matrix. It's really good. But before that, just some really good news. Tomorrow, 
Friday. I'm not going forward. My Friday is going to be Talk Back Friday. No guests, no investigative reports, no, no commentaries, no white papers, no health and nutrition, uh, no, none of the things I normally do. Instead, call in, share your comments, your thoughts on any of the topics that are important except one. Don't call in about your personal health conditions because we'll get 10,000 calls and the call might be beneficial to you, but it won't be to everyone else listening. I want to have themes that really impact everyone in the audience to some degree or open doors they wouldn't have thought uh, to open. So we're going to do this. I stopped doing this about uh, eight years ago. I'd done it for 35 straight years. Now we're going to do it again, but not on Sunday night because, quite frankly, we don't have the engineering staff now to do it on Sunday night, and our regular, regular schedule is packed with outstanding programs. Now I don't want to preempt any of the really good shows we have, so I'm going to do it on my Friday noon show. All right, that's tomorrow. So think about what you'd like calling in and ask or share. Now we're going to go to this clip. It's a long clip, but he just opens one door after another, after another, after another. Let's hear what he has to say. It has been said that the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. Censorship doesn't protect the vulnerable. It rewrites history to the benefit of the powerful and to the detriment of the people. As a prolific journalist and author, Michael Schellenberger understands this keenly. Michael's work is difficult to describe simply because it's so wide-ranging. Yet one theme emerges. From the death of environmentalism to progressives' destruction of cities, Michael has uncovered it all, and he's done so with courage. Recently, Michael released part of the Twitter files, showing how the FBI and intelligence community discredited factual information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. He also testified before the House Select Committee on the weaponization of the federal government, where he challenged the censorship industrial complex, detailing the U.S. government's support for domestic censorship and disinformation campaigns from 2016 to 2022. Insofar as we can evaluate the past few years of American history with integrity, we have Michael to thank for his dogged reporting. This evening, Michael's lecture is titled, Escape the Woke Matrix, and there will be time for questions afterwards. Please join me in welcoming Michael Schellenberger to the stage. Thank you very much. What a great pleasure to be here. You've all heard the news. Climate change is destroying your future. Carbon dioxide is accumulating in the atmosphere. The planet has warmed 1.1 degrees centigrade since the pre-industrial period. Global warming is killing the Great Barrier Reef. We also know that police killing black people is a pandemic. Murders of trans people nearly doubled over the past four years. But there's more to this story. Carbon emissions peaked in Great Britain over 50 years ago. Same thing in France, the United States, and indeed, over the last decade, 
total global emissions declined. Why haven't you read that in the New York Times or the Washington Post? Deaths from natural disasters have diminished to a few hundred a year in the United States, even as the global population quadrupled over the last century, they've declined internationally by over 90%. The cost of disasters everywhere is on decline. Why is nobody telling you that? As a result of declining deaths from extreme weather events and declining costs, what gets counted as a natural disaster has also declined. There's only one database that tracks natural disasters. It's the MDAT data center in Belgium. And total global weather and climate disasters have declined. How come nobody is saying that? The Great Barrier Reef recorded the highest amount of coral in 36 years, and maybe longer, because that's the amount of time that we've been studying and measuring the, the great coral, the reef on the great coral, on the Great Barrier Reef. Why is nobody telling you that? These are my books. After I lost all of my friends and all of my financial support, <laughs> it, uh, not a intuitive move in your late 40s, I decided to put all my heartbreak into a single book, Apocalypse Never, which came out in 2020. I had the good fortune of it selling, and so I got to write a follow-up book, which was to understand you people who say they care more than anybody else. Let people suffering from schizophrenia smoke fentanyl and have the bottom parts of their legs rot on the street where they are then taken into the hospital and have the bottom parts of their legs amputated, why do they then put them back on the street? Why do we spend 10 times more than other cities on homelessness and have those outcomes? How is that compassionate and why is it done in the name of care? There are no racial differences in police killings when accounting for whether or not the suspect was armed or a threat, justified or unjustified. Everybody knows this. There's no real debate about the data. The person who's done the most to discover this is Roland Fryer at Harvard University. You might have heard of Harvard University. And yet nobody talks about this. Police killings of African Americans declined from 217 per year in the 1970s to 157 per year in the 2010s in 58 of the largest U.S. cities. That's based on FBI data that my colleagues and I personally crunched. This is wonderful news. Police killings of all races declined dramatically from 59 per year between 1970 and 1975 to 12 per year. Now, the rate of police killings in San Francisco and Oakland did increase slightly from 2.7 and 2.8 per year, respectively, in the 70s, 2.4 and 3.9. But police killings per capita in those two cities declined by 8.3%. So when you account for the increase in population, it also declined. Researchers do not know if trans people are being killed disproportionately in comparison to cisgender people nor do they know if trans homicides are rising, nor if trans people are being killed for being trans or for some other reason. There is no debate over this data. 
And yet CBS News irresponsibly and other news outlets suggest that they are. And that should upset you, especially if you care very much about trans people, because what you would not want to do is have a bad baseline for monitoring such terrible forms of violence. Why in the world does everybody get it so horribly wrong? Horribly wrong. Unethically wrong, not just analytically wrong. Some of these things are easier to explain than others. There have been major disinformation campaigns waged by senior leaders in our government. They got an entire FBI investigation based on a made-up memo that suggested that Putin controlled Trump because prostitutes urinated on him in a bed. That is what happened. My mother still believes that Trump is a Russian asset because of that disinformation campaign. The, the labs leak all the time and have leaked for 50 years all around the world. <laughs> the idea that COVID might have leaked from a lab was obvious to everybody, including the scientists who emailed Anthony Fauci on January 30th, 2020. In their email to him, they said, we think it's more likely to be a lab leak. Several days later, Fauci perpetuated a disinformation campaign that suggested that you were a racist for suggesting that the COVID-19 virus came from a lab, but not a racist if you thought it came from Chinese people eating bats. That happened. People said it was misinformation to suggest that vaccines had side effects. People said that the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation, not that it fell into a bathtub because Hunter Biden was hammered and smoking crack. Instead, somehow the Russians had gotten Hunter Biden's laptop data and then got it onto a laptop and then dropped it off at a computer repair store. It was the most cockamamie story, a conspiracy theory, and it was perpetuated by senior members of the US government, retired and employed. And people say that the Twitter files just showed people doing content moderation, not censorship. These are senior elected officials who carried out this disinformation campaign. We now know absolute certainty that the FBI should never have launched that probe. Here's the email from the senior scientist to Fauci. Some of the features potentially look engineered. The furin cleavage site that does not belong on the spike protein was obviously engineered, and people knew that right away. And yet the Washington Post suggested that Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. The original headline, which Washington Post changed without acknowledging it on their article, said that he was spreading a debunked conspiracy theory. The Washington Post, which broke the famous Watergate scandal, spreads disinformation. Fauci and his colleagues constructed a fake science article in one of the greatest, the formerly greatest medical journals in the world, suggesting conspiracy theories were what those lab leak hypotheses were. 
The Great Barrington Declaration, co-authored by a new friend, Jay Bhattacharya of Sanford University, that Jay Bhattacharya is a fringe epidemiologist, a full professor at Stanford University, and one of the most beautiful individual people you'll ever meet. And Francis Collins, the head of the National Institutes of Health, the greatest medical organization and organizations in the world, formerly greatest, said that there needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of his premises. The Great Barrington Declaration argued that the approach to the pandemic should be the approach to the pandemic that everybody agreed the approach to a pandemic should be before there was a pandemic, which is known as focused protection of the most vulnerable, but allowing children to go to school so they could actually learn something. I don't want to make it personal, but you do need to name names when you are uncovering bad behavior. And this person, Renee Dresta, is the smartest of the people in every room she's in, and she's a former CIA fellow, ostensibly former. One of the things that you learn when you interview people in the intelligence community is they say, nobody retires from the intelligence community. Nobody retires from the... This is a person who ran a censorship operation with US taxpayer dollars that involved the Department of Defense, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Homeland Security. It subcontracted out the censorship work to four organizations uh, that constituted the creme de la creme, people that went to places like Harvard and Stanford and apparently had their consciences ripped out from their hearts and their brains and got themselves in a situation of censoring the rabble or what Hillary Clinton calls the deplorables for doing things like questioning the elections or sharing stories of vaccine side effects on Twitter and Facebook. This was such a smashing success that they're now exporting to other countries and there's nothing that's been done to stop this. Our work has not stopped this. This is continuing. Here's what Twitter did to Jay Bhattacharya. They put him on a blacklist. The word blacklist is not my word. That's the Twitter internal word. You can see it right there in yellow on his profile, trends blacklist. You can imagine the shock that overcame Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi and I when we saw this. He's one of the most important epidemiologists in the world, and he was on a blacklist because he suggested doing with the pandemic what everybody agreed we should do during a pandemic before there was a pandemic. The behavior from the White House was, is remarkable. Thuggish would describe it, bullying. Rob Flaherty, in particular, who sent this email to Facebook and got this response back from Facebook, whose names we shielded, not the, not the public officials, their names should be known. And the Facebook executive said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, please know that we are censoring even true stories of vaccine side effects. So mothers sharing stories of their children getting sick from the vaccine had their posts censored without their knowledge so that other mothers would not see them. This happened, and there's no debate about that this happened. There's a lawsuit about this, and only a question is only whether it violated the First Amendment. 
it's still, in my humble view, as a non-First Amendment scholar, a violation of the First Amendment to have the government have other people demand the censorship or to demand that Facebook engage in the censorship. Matt Taibbi discovered that in this email from the Virality Project, which was a project funded by US government contractors, that they demanded that Twitter censor, and you can see it in the yellow highlight in the middle, true content which might promote vaccine hesitancy. It's not that the information was wrong, because of course the First Amendment also protects wrong information, but they wanted to censor accurate information because they were worried that people might get the wrong idea and choose not to get the vaccine. I got the vaccine, I got, I got boosted, nothing, I love, vaccines are a miracle, but this is totalitarian tactics to censor this kinds of information. FBI came to us, said Mark Zuckerberg, as he has rapidly sought to shift the blame, away from taking responsibility. The FBI came to us and were like, hey, you should be on a high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in 2016 election. There's about to be some kind of dump similar to that. He's referring to the FBI coming to them to say that they should be ready to censor the Hunter Biden laptop. That's weird because there had been no publicity of the Hunter Biden laptop yet. Perhaps it's just a coincidence that the FBI had been sitting on the Hunter Biden laptop for uh, almost a year. And this wasn't the beginning. Twitter was under intense pressure. We have seen a sustained effort by the intelligence community to push us to share more info and change our IP, API policies. They're probing and pushing everywhere they can, including by whispering to congressional staff, complained the Twitter director of policy on January 2020. The story exploded on October 14th. Twitter's internal safety, trust and safety department, which is the censorship department at Twitter, evaluated the New York Post article and they, they concluded that it did not violate Twitter's terms of service, that the article was entirely, there was no evidence that it was inaccurate or that it was a result of hacking. They censored it anyway. Here's the subpoena from the FBI confiscating the laptop in December 2019, almost a year before the New York Post story. Here's the signature by Hunter Biden on the receipt dropping the laptop off at the computer, computer repair store after he had dropped it in the bathtub or the pool. <laughs> Weirdly enough, in the Twitter files, we discovered that there had been preparation for how to not cover the Hunter Biden laptop months before the New York Post published an article about the Hunter Biden laptop. What's the Aspen Institute doing gathering journalists to talk about how not to cover a story that hadn't even broke yet. What is going on here? Why is it that they were programming journalists to disregard the, one of the most important journalistic principles that's been in place for over 50 years? It's known as the Pentagon Papers Principle, and it's if it's a whistleblower comes to you, and they have documents showing that the Pentagon knows that they're losing the war in Vietnam, that the New York Times and the Washington Post shall publish those documents because that's important to the public interest, and God damn it, it's protected by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That is what journalists do, and the New York Times and the Washington Post published that, that article, the Pentagon Papers, they won their Pulitzers for it, they defended it in court, and they won it at the Supreme Court. Steven Spielberg thought it was such an amazing story, he made a movie about it. 
The Aspen Institute with Stanford, with U.S. federal government money, has been attacking this, saying don't cover the material, cover the person who leaked it. You might remember that they disparaged Daniel Ellsberg, the, 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 Nicks, the Nixon folks, because he'd been going to a psychotherapist, so they tried to suggest he was a crazy person. That tactic is now being used by Democrats to disparage anybody who leaks information central to the public interest. Like, how's the war in Ukraine going? Interests that we share, that are public interests, that are protected by the First Amendment, that are precisely why the people that created our country demanded that there be the First Amendment to the Constitution. They didn't want the Constitution to even be in place. They didn't want a United States of America unless there was a First Amendment. That's how important it was. That's why they made it first. It's now being attacked by the people who claim to be the defenders of liberalism and democracy. It's being attacked right now. Here's the little memo they created. You can see at the top, September 2020, Aspen Digital Hack and Dump Working Group, how to, get, how to brainwash journalists so they don't cover the obvious thing that's sitting in front of their face. It's all done in the name of protecting people, fragile people, and need to be protected from information, which is so dangerous. Here's Twitter's top censor, Yul Roth. He said, you know, we gotta get to Jack Dorsey, the CEO. We gotta convince him. We gotta, we gotta start by censoring, without anybody knowing it, information that directly causes harm. Now they're trying to read your text messages. Piero Midiar, who made his money on eBay, spinning off a Defense Department technology. They're now trying to read your encrypted text messages. And they're trying to create something called tip lines to turn everybody into little narcs. Why, you don't need the Stasi, you just have each other to go and report on your wrong think to the FBI or the CIA or whatever have it. Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand who was so unpopular because her COVID policies were so wrong, hurt so many people, she's been picked up by Harvard to head up their censorship initiative. She's working with Facebook and Google to do it globally. It's much easier now to censor because there's only two important platforms, maybe just one, Facebook and Twitter. I mean, imagine having to censor hundreds of newspapers. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just censor Twitter and Facebook. It's much worse than you think, a whistleblower told me, who works for all the social media companies. There's a complex where cancellations and pressure campaigns are well organized by outside groups. It's a total conflict waged in every school, business, and platform. Is it a conspiracy? Is it a culture? Yes. Conspiracy means to breathe together. It's Cancel culture with an inorganic overlay that we call the censorship industrial complex. This is here. It has arrived. It's in place. Our job now is simply to dismantle and defund it. So how did this happen? How, what was going on here? Propaganda, according to Jacques Ellul in his great book, draws on existing values. We want to move beyond racial discrimination. We want to move beyond discrimination against sexual minorities. And so they tap into that. So your propaganda uh, is about controlling the information environment. The concern of the advocates of disinformation isn't to wipe out every instance of a piece of information. Hunter Biden laptop story got out there, but people like myself and my, my mother and everybody in my liberal family all thought it was Russian disinformation. So the censorship was in service of the disinformation. 
It's not that the sensors, they know they can't be total. They don't need to be total. They just need to brainwash you into thinking that something is wrong when it's right. What is going on in 2010? Something happened. Uh, Zach Goldberg, Manhattan Institute, finds that the terms racist and racism just exploded into the news media in this period. And little surprise then that the ideology follows. How big of a problem is racism? It's a much bigger problem than people had thought. People thought it was a declining problem for years. People, we thought that um, relationships between white and black Americans had been pretty good, 70% since the last 20 years, and they just plummet after you're told repeatedly through propaganda that things have gotten worse somehow. Some of this is just the elites in an absolute panic after the revolutions of 2016, Brexit and Trump. They had to get control of the information environment. They had to be able to wage war when they wanted to wage war. They had all these overproduction of elites sitting around after they had successfully prosecuted the war on terror. They needed something to do. They turned inward. And they tapped into cancel culture, what we call wokeism, as predicates for censorship. Why, though? Why? Why? Why can't we just live in peace and have debates and free speech? Why? Part of it, I think, has to do with the fact that nobody believes we don't have the traditional value systems that we used to have. This is a very old trend. This is what Friedrich Nietzsche wrote about in the mid-19th century, the death of God. We don't believe, we don't have traditional moral structures. The percentage of Americans with no religious identity has risen dramatically. Ernest Becker in his brilliant Pulitzer Prize winning 1975 book said, man cannot endure his smallness unless he can translate it into meaningfulness at the largest possible level. The idea that we just die and turn into worm food is pretty depressing, particularly if you think that your life isn't very exciting or interesting. So we overcompensate by constructing monuments to our lives. We can rest assured knowing that our names will live on. These are called immortality projects, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them, particularly if you sublimate and create beautiful immortality projects. The idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It's like a mainspring of human activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death. Some interesting insights. You can agree or disagree, but I find that he's spot on on his actual statistics. We're led to believe by for ideological and political rationale that things are worse than what they are in many areas and that they're not bad at all when they're terrible. Take a look at immigration now. All of us, well, all reasonable people realize we're a country of immigrants and that based upon the historical notion of coming here legally and then finding your skills, finding your way, and then contributing something to your own life and to the betterment of other people. And that's what makes our multiculturalism so unique. But you'd have people on television, especially MSNBC, who believe that we've made no progress whatsoever on any front. And they stick with that. And their guests all continue to be this sycophants of, of acceptance, that we are just terrible at all levels. We're not. But what they're not talking about, for example, is today in Kirpen, Germany, they, the German daycare center decided after some pressure not to allow a masturbation room 
after heavy criticism for children. Since when does having a masturbation room, quote, where, where children can withdraw for physical experiences, would you want your daughter or son to go to, a, they're five years old, six years old, and they go into a room where they're masturbating themselves or other people? And yet, no criticism of that. Also, why is it that no one in the mainstream media has talked about Gonzalo Lira's torture and death? They just announced that he died. If you're not familiar with him, he was one of the most outspoken and honest as journalist in Ukraine. I thought that he should have left there because you don't take on Zelensky and the corruption that is everywhere in uh, in his government without consequences. So he was arrested. He was interrogated. He returned and uh, would not talk about what happened. But then he sends out a text as he's escaping Ukraine and he's only a few miles from the border where he can cross and be safe. So what does he do? He texts everyone where he's at and he's crossing the border in a little bit He's on a motorbike, and of course, everyone in the Ukrainian intelligence got that, and they stopped and arrested him, then they put him in prison, and they kept him there without any due process, and then he dies. Now we find out from Mark Crispin Miller, professor down at NYU, that, uh, quote, Gonzalo Lira's torturers were already, are allegedly trying to extort $500,000 from him and killed him after he told his lawyer. The U.S. Embassy was trying to deal with it. Not a word. If the embassy was trying to deal with it, they could have had him out there with one phone call from the head of the State Department or White House. But they didn't because they took no side. With an, by the way, he was an American citizen. No side in his case. And uh, so now we just see once again that the, what are called CISO, S-I-Z-O, employees at this uh, pre-trial detention center controlled by the SBU, uh, he was killed by extortionists. Will anything happen? Absolutely not. Will the embassy say anything? Nothing. Why not? Well, because he was on the wrong side politically. And how about this? Do you see this in the New York Times? Do you see... Uh, anyone on CNN or Rachel Maddow talking about, quote, the collapse of Gaza's health sector, the worst man-made medical disaster in modern history. As the confirmed death toll from Israel's assault on Gaza reaches 24,000, the U.S. is reportedly frustrated. Israel continues to ignore calls to limit its attacks. Hamas releases video of three Israeli captives. and uh, But then it's learned that the number of injured are at least 60,582 that have showed up to get help. But how many people were blown up in the buildings? Some estimate that that's as high as 60,000. But at least half of those are children and women. And then in the West Bank, that no attention has been given to, the settlers there have killed 387 Palestinians, taken over their homes, not one arrested, nothing. And then Israel has 
brought down the number of killed on October 7th from 1,400 to 1,147. And of those, we don't know how many were killed by friendly fire. So why not? Why no compassion? Why no effort to help the innocent anti-Hamas Palestinian citizens or those whose orchards have been there for hundreds of years and they're being burned, cut down? I have videos showing the the settlers coming over and cutting down trees and the poor and unarmed uh, Palestinians are saying, why? Well, you got 24 hours, one says, to get out of your house. But we've lived in this house for over 100 years, my family's generations. doesn't matter. If you're still here tomorrow, we'll kill you. And then it shows one of them going over to talk with the guy and they, they just turn and shoot him right in the chest. He dies. But that's not news. And that doesn't seem to bother Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, anyone in the White House, or, or anyone in the mainstream media. So when you were listening to the truth being told in that last clip, just remember almost everything you're being told is a lie. For example, everyone who voted for Trump must be, well, must be a, a racist, must be a person that wants to support a dictator. Well, that's not been the case. But here are clips, actual people talking about this who are in power, all Democrats. Listen carefully what they're saying and then ask yourself, is that hate speech? Is that a call to violence? Is that a call to insurrection against a whole party, political party, an opponent? Listen to the clip, please don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. There needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. You've got to be ready to throw a punch. Well, you have to be ready to throw a punch. Donald Trump, I think you need to go back and then punch him in the face. That I thought he should have punched him in the face. I feel like punching him. I'd like to take him behind the gym if I were in high school. If you were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. No, I wish you were in high school, I could take him behind the gym. I will go and take Trump out tonight. Take him out now. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Please, get up in the face of some Congress people. People will do what they do. I want to tell you, Lord Dutch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. We're going to go in there, we're going to... This is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. And for those of you who are soldiers, make them pay. Mm, Make them pay. Soldiers. I mean, people we train to kill other people, and you want them to kill or harm a person that voted for Trump? What if it was a unionist who had been a true blue Democrat unionist his entire life and saw how nothing but lies and deceptions came their way from Obama and other Democrats? You want to kill those people? Then you're talking about probably 70% of Trump's voters are voting for him out of protest. Wow. And yet none of the words just said was anyone held accountable for. This is where we live in. We're going to finish today with a clip 
Um, we're going to go right through BAI, so in two minutes, BAI, you'll sign off, but continue to the top of the hour, because this is something you haven't heard before. Dale Bigtree interviewed this person. Thank you, Dale. You did a good job. This is someone we've never seen or heard, but he said MD, PhD, top scientist, top physician, and he's going to show you how then and now 90% of the people who are infected with COVID would have survived, not gone to the emergency room, not been on, put on a ventilator, which killed 90% of the people. Listen to what he has to say. And then when you look from both parts, you can actually put these puzzle pieces together to a picture, seamless, and then you see it completely different, have a different, completely different view what's actually going on. Now going back to the, to the, uh, the data we had on vitamin D, it was totally clear that uh, people wouldn't die from COVID, but still there was no in interest actually to provide people vitamin D. They, so when the first trial started with, the, with this, this spiking program, uh, vaccination yes. for those who didn't so get my we'll term. We'll spiking program. I think we got it. Yeah, yeah so when they did the, the trials, uh, I was asking myself, whenever I wanted to make a clinical trial, I have to test my, my new product against the best alternative that's out there. Right. Well, the best alternative based on research, like, for, for example, from the German, from the, from the uh, German uh, Cancer Research Center, is to give people vitamin D. So you compare the vaccination, right. the, the spiking, compared you have to compare to people who actually get enough vitamin D. But with vitamin D, nobody dies. So, right. so what does a vaccine do? Nothing. Right. So, but they didn't do the trial like this. They actually told us you don't have to use vitamin D. Vitamin D is dangerous. The New England Journal of Medicine published in fall 2020, uh, 20, yeah, 2020, they published that nobody needs vitamin D. Even if there's a deficiency in vitamin D, you don't need it. And physicians should stop testing vitamin D, and people should stop supplementing vitamin D, even if they have a deficit. That's the New England Journal of Medicine. By the way, the same journal that published most of these trials yeah. on the spiking program. So, you so it's incredible. And, and to your point, as you point out in the book, if this really was a public health measure, we would have gone with, first of all, the fastest and cheapest route, even while we're waiting for the vaccine. Maybe the vaccine's going to be great, maybe it won't. But why didn't every you know, health department say, at least bump up your vitamin D, get your vitamin D up, you're going you know, to do a lot better here. They didn't do that. And, and to your point, they went the opposite direction. They you know, basically attacked. We, we had a, a, a chiropractor on here that got sued for $500 billion by the United States of America for recommending vitamin D. <laughs> okay, that's, so, that fits the bill. I mean, right. it, it, yeah. it, it, I, I, coming back to this study I wanted, wanted to, to, to discuss, in the study, they gave not vitamin D, but vitamin D pro-hormone. Okay. That is the, the, essentially the, the form that is circulating in, the, circulating in the blood, and that's what you usually measure when you measure vitamin D. And you have to pump up this quickly. If you just give vitamin D and not the vitamin D pro-hormone, it takes three, four, five days before the level okay. goes up. But you can imagine if you come to the hospital severely ill, you don't you have know, much time. You ha don't have four or five days. Right. So they gave the vitamin D pro-hormone, and the level went up quickly. The consequence, compared to the control group, it was a control trial. Nobody died. Nobody went to, to the intensive care unit. Compared to the control group, so the, the risk of getting into the intensive care unit was 25 times higher without vitamin D pro-hormone. Wow. So this study should have immediately yeah. triggered something. And it was published three months before the vaccination program started. Wow. So it was all known. And of course, at that point, I was asking myself, why is this happening? 
And now I'm coming back to my research on Alzheimer's disease. I knew that neuroinflammation, the inflammation in the brain is the major cause of Alzheimer's. And it's caused usually by a, a lifestyle that is not healthy. A lifestyle that is far away from our natural lifestyle. So we have deficiencies, not only by vitamin D, maybe also omega-3 fatty acids, we don't walk enough. Mm -hmm. And what I realized, and I published this in a peer-reviewed paper in 2016, it's called Unified Theory of Alzheimer's Disease. Okay, well there you have it. A clinical study with a control group. The control group didn't get the vitamin D, and the group that did, none of them died. All of them got well. None required emergency treatment. None required ICU. And the ones that didn't get it, did. And as he said, all those millions of people worldwide and at least 900,000 in the United States could be alive today for taking one single nutrient. Now, go back four years. At the very beginning of COVID, I suggested that all of us would probably be infected, but we all wouldn't be sick because the strength of our immune system. I did a whole hour explaining innate immunity versus acquired immunity and then the kind of superficial immunity that comes with a vaccine. But this vaccine, that no one knew what would it be, it's not a vaccine. It does more like stimulating the immune system in a natural way. It actually goes in and implants at the, in the ACE receptors of your cell and all cells in the body, by the way, not just those in your delta muscle that we were told. And uh, then it starts producing the spike protein. Your body then responds, and by responding, it tries to kill the spike protein, and then you end up with an autoimmune condition or what is also long COVID. And we don't know when the spike protein stops reproducing. That little factor seems not to have been in their equation. We've had studies where people have gone, studied for three months, one month, two months, and as long as the study existed, the body was still producing spike protein. That means it's also shedding that means it can infect people through body fluids around them, even being unaware that uh, they're not manifesting any major symptoms, but they're still shedding. Wow, what a mess. So anyhow, I wrote two articles showing you how nutrients from the National Library of Medicine from period literature showed vitamin D3, vitamin C, especially intravenous vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, and then some herbs we're able to build up the immune system and kill the virus. Now we know many things can kill the virus, even if you're exposed. But none of that was considered acceptable. Why? Because it wasn't promoted in the official paradigm out of the U.S. Public Health Service, Anthony Fauci and Collins. We were right. We saved countless lives. People followed it. And I know people followed because I saw how many people downloaded the articles and we got a lot of response of people. Well, I got infected, but I was over in 24 hours. They followed the protocol, still following it today. So we save lives, they cause lives. Major media, you cause a lot of people to die. A lot of people. And the more people that listen to your show or watch it on television, the more people took the advice, Rachel Maddow, the more people ended up sick or dying. Do you hold yourself responsible for giving misinformation? Well, that's up to them to answer. I can only pose the question. And these are the people still giving you information today and you still believe them? 
then you have to share in being responsible. We're out of time, everyone. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.